0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 39 of the IoT for All podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Chacon, and I am joined today on this episode by Shannon Lee as my co-host. Our guest today is John Eunice, the co-founder and COO of Litmus Automation. He is actually in charge of the operations and growth for the company and draws on considerable experience working with startups and early stage companies. So to give you a little background on Litmus Automation, they enable Industry 4.0 teams to deploy and operate unified edge to cloud systems. Their industrial IoT platform allows businesses to securely connect, manage, analyze data from legacy to modern devices or assets. So needless to say, we'll be talking about Industry 4.0. And if you're not sure what Industry 4.0 is, we will explain it um, during this episode. So to give you a little more insight into what this episode covers, so we start off talking a bit about Litmus Automation and the company background. It's really interesting when you have a co-founder on an episode to be able to kind of get their story on how the company started, the problems they saw in the market, the opportunities they saw in the market, and kind of how they got going and got to where they are today. So we then kind of branch into... Um, a conversation about pivoting uh, for the company. The company had some big name clients in in the automotive vertical, but they saw an opportunity in another vertical and actually kind of left those clients um, uh, on the table and and went uh, went a different route because they saw a bigger opportunity down the road. So that's a really interesting story to kind of catch at the beginning of this episode. We then talk about. How has customer engagement kind of changed over time as IoT has now become more mainstream? We then get into, like I promised, what Industry 4.0 is and how Industry 4.0 is impacting businesses. Uh, What does a typical customer engagement look like for their company? What advice does John have to help people overcome common mistakes when planning to build an IoT solution? Uh, we also talk about what are the top use cases in IIoT, industrial IoT, for those of you who aren't familiar with the acronym. Um, and then we kind of start finishing up by talking about different types of ROI companies are looking for in his experiences. What does the future of industrial automation look like in terms of edge computing? And then what can we expect to see from litmus automation over, let's say, the next 6 to 12 months? So we share some pretty good insight at the end of this episode. But um, otherwise, we, we think this episode is really great talking about industrial IoT Industry 4.0 type topics, uh, stuff we don't really cover that often. So we hope you enjoy this episode with John Eunice. Uh If you have any questions or or any um, insights you're looking for from him, there's some information at the end of the episode to kind of be able to get in touch with them. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with John Eunice of Litmus Automation. Welcome, John, to the IoT for All show. How's your week going so far?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, pretty good. How about you?
0: Pretty good over here as well. Um, I want to first start off and introduce my co-host, It's Shannon Lee. She's been on before.
1: Hello. There you
0: go. Um, and, and John, do you want to start off by just introducing yourself a little bit, talk more about you know your background, your experience, kind of how you got into IoT, that sort of thing?
1: Sure. Uh, so just to introduce myself, uh, this is John Eunice here. I'm one of the co-founders and COO of Litmus Automation. So my main role is around um, go-to-market, sales, marketing, partnerships for the company, And I'm based in our our headquarters in San Jose, California. Uh, So I got involved in IoT about five and a half, six years ago now. I met my co-founder in a, maybe a bit longer actually, I met my co-founder in a master's program, uh, which was a global entrepreneurship program about seven years ago. And his background is actually coming from uh, more industrial automation. And obviously people have been talking, saying we've been doing IoT in the industrial world, for the last 20, 30 years with, with automation, but it's a much newer uh, phenomenon now with newer technologies like cloud and, and AI and machine learning uh, and those kind of uh, buzzwords. Um, So he was actually doing some more field level projects around connecting sensors on oil and gas pipeline, putting that data into a database and then figuring out uh, trying to predict when the pipeline was going to break. So that's where we, where he had the idea what, if we had a, if, if companies had a scalable platform that could basically take data in from any sort of sensor and, and, or device and, and make that data available to various applications that could leverage that, that data in a way they're looking for, um, that could really eliminate the development cycle um, and allow companies to really adopt these kind of newer IOT technologies and systems much more rapidly. So that's kind of where the concept started from and, and where we got started from. Now we're obviously evolved a lot from that point and have two core products more on the edge computing side and and uh, enablement and management layers for IoT.
0: Great. Can you talk a little bit more about the opportunity you guys saw when you started the company? Um, more so, like how what what was the condition of the market? What you know, were companies doing um, to you know, I guess work around to solve certain problems you guys saw, and then obviously fitting in the the idea to then build the company out and get to the point to where you are today, which is, you know, having these two products um, that benefit the industry.
1: Sure. So when we got started, uh, we, we launched, I think, in the market, our first first version or first product about about five years ago. Um, and so at that point, IOT was a it was a huge buzzword. A lot of people started talking about it. A lot of people still didn't really know about it and what it, it actually meant. Um, but it, it was this huge new uh, thing that Gartner started talking about, which is going to add $19 trillion in economic value and, and all these different uh, buzz things around it. So it really was a huge new hot topic, but I think people didn't really know much about it or what they should be doing with it. So it was very, very early stages. We've seen a huge evolution over the last five years of just kind of sophistication and customers and, and the market as well. Uh, where people actually now have an idea of what they're supposed to be doing. So it actually took probably about four years to get to this point Mm -hmm. um, where people have real projects, real requirements, where now they know how they're supposed to be leveraging these kind of technologies. Um, We started from the concept of more on the cloud side, which was just connect, manage, and integrate uh, any IoT device. So more dealing with these newer Mm -hmm. IoT devices that were coming out, which... There were hundreds of different types uh, and and there's kind of no header homogeneous way to ma- manage these heterogeneous type of IoT devices and collect data and integrate it to more enterprise systems like CRM systems or databases or analytics tools. So we started from that point. Um, we started in more general IoT again. We were just trying out different industries, talking to different customers, seeing where um, which kind of made the most sense for us to focus in. We had early success in the connected car space Um, so our first customer was actually Nissan and eventually working with with Renault as well so we did a series that that actually took up probably the first two years of of the business they kept us quite busy working with those kind of two big brand names Um, we found it challenging to actually expand in more of the connected car and transportation space so at that point that's when we wanted to get more back to our industrial roots as a company as I mentioned, our, my my partner coming from Rockwell Automation and working more on the the industrial automation side of things, and a lot of our core team also comes from that that similar background. So we made a conscious decision about uh, three years ago to really focus, get our our focus back more into the industrial side. So it was it was a bit of a gamble at that point, especially when you have two key big names uh, like these two car automotive OEMs to really move into a different direction at that point. But we did. We, we did it for, for multiple reasons, um, so it paid off greatly. Uh, it was a great decision, obviously now, so about two and a half years, three years in the market and more of the industrial side, and we've built up now these two core products, which is uh, this edge computing platform and, and uh, industrial device connectivity, which is solving a huge challenge for companies that are trying to, to even get started with uh, IoT. And then we focus more on the, the management of these edge computing devices now, how companies can actually in a, in a centralized way manage all of their deployments and devices across multiple factories or multiple, multiple remote sites. Um, so that's kind of how we got to where we are now. And the, as I mentioned, I guess, going back to your original question, which was more around um, the market, it's, it's night and day now. So we, we were working the early days with just POCs or people doing random R&D projects. And then they got into, finally, they had some budgets to work on pilots. Now companies actually have uh, large-scale requirements and and rollout plans for how they're going to deploy it across uh, hundreds of factories or 50 factories, whereas before it was just very, very isolated small projects that did not really have much, uh, much uh, fuel behind them.
0: Gotcha. That's great. Can you shed a little bit more light on the point you made about making that transition away from the... Um auto industry into more the industrial side. Cause I know like you mentioned, it's very hard to kind of leave big name customers kind of on the table and make that pivot. And I'm sure a lot of customers out there or, or companies out there might be in that same kind of spot where they have a couple, uh, couple customers. They really like, you know, big names bringing in revenue, but maybe they see the direction of the industry shifting a little bit for their own, for, for basically their expertise and their benefit, but they might be scared to kind of pivot away from that. What was your guys decision making process behind making that switch and kind of leaving those customers to be?
1: Sure. So one of that is definitely product market fit. Um, We had a product, but the market wasn't quite there. And it wasn't quite there for for a few different reasons. But I think some of the main reasons behind that are the fact that a lot of first of all, you only have a certain amount of automotive OEMs that are out there. So that for a startup to limit the size of your market to only a, a select few. And also they're located in specific geographies. So it makes it very difficult for a startup to tackle that. Also the nature of that market. So automotive in the automotive market, they have very long production cycles. Um, so to actually put something into production could be even four years. And for a startup, that's an eternity sure. So unless you're going to raise a, uh, A lot of money or take a lot of services revenue along the way it's not it's it's a very difficult uh, arena for startups to be successful in so for those reasons uh, we wanted to go after a market which was a was a lot more wide open and can get value and roi more immediately um, from the products that we were providing rather than wait sort of four years and and try and navigate only a select few customers that are at very various different stages or trying to just do it themselves. Um, so that's why we couldn't really sit around and wait in that market and decided to to pivot more to the industrial area and started uh, really adapting and, and adopting our products for those markets. Uh, and then now it took us uh, probably about a year and a half or two years, but we really started to reach that product market fit. And now it's very cooker, cookie cutter where we're able to to launch into new customers much more at a much more quicker place where they can, even after even two meetings, they're purchasing something from us rather than very long cycles to just get a a simple proof of concept going and then having to collect more services revenues for four years, they can actually launch something into a larger scale production within three to four months.
0: That's great. Are you guys seeing more, um, not just engagement from customers, which I assume you are, but um, kind of from that first discussion, you said you're seeing people buy stuff really quickly. What do you think is contributing to that change and that kind of? You know, I guess a couple of years ago, people were definitely more scared of of technology like IoT, uh, installing it with you know legacy systems, uh, disrupting processes for an ROI that may or may not be realized. So, what have you guys seen um, kind of changed in in your uh, engagement with customers in the last couple of years to to lead to them now being more willing? or ready to, to purchase and install these solutions.
1: Yeah, so I guess going back to product market fit is one of the main points there. We have something that they're really looking for. Um, and the fact that also, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> they're not coming in. We're not coming in from day one, trying to pitch them the world. Sure. Um, the fact that we can come in with a, with a, a product which allows them to get started small and scale um, so they don't have to have a huge investment and, and put huge budgets and ROI behind it. That gives us a huge advantage. Basically, you can purchase a, a gateway in our software and off the shelf, you can start getting started with your Industry 4.0 initiative in a matter of, of hours. Um, so the fact that we can get them to that quick uh, adoption, rather than having to pitch a huge project that's, that's going to require multiple levels of approval, they can get started for uh, a few thousand dollars uh, instead of the half a million dollar project. So that gives us a huge advantage from, from that approach. And then they can scale as they're, as they start seeing value. Um, and then also it's the nature of the market as well. Now companies, they do have dedicated budgets to work on these kind of projects. So you don't have, they don't have to, you don't have to wait till the following year where they have to put it on the budget and uh, their budget approval and get budget approval for it for the next year. So that the fact that they already have these budgets and they need to deploy them and work on these projects, that makes it move a lot quicker as well.
0: You mentioned Industry 4.0. Um, can you touch on that and explain what it is and tell us, is it real? Is it just a buzzword? And can you provide some examples of how Industry 4.0 is impacting businesses right now?
1: Sure. So it is obviously a, a buzzword, but it's more about um, the next generation of, the next revolution in in, uh, more of the industrial world. So obviously the last one came when there was more automation in factories. Now it's more involving people process things and data. Uh, So the fact that, and and trying to automate all that in a much more uh, efficient manner. Um, So this comes down to having better visibility over over all your assets and people or things uh, better predictability over those things uh, and kind of bringing everything together. So, That could be anything from just having real-time monitoring of all your assets, or it could be involving more types of new age devices like AR and VR, which are actually coming to the manufacturing floor. Companies are are adopting those kind of uh, processes, trying to eliminate um, more manual entry of data on clipboards or or just entry into Excel. Now they have uh, iPads where they're able to log things a lot more quicker and efficiently um, so, yes, they are coming to the factory floor um, today. It's just more at, at what scale. Some, some of these technologies as part of this are being adopted much quicker. Some are being adopted much slower. But companies are, different companies are, are playing around with different parts of these technologies. Um, so that's how I would sort of define industry 4.0. But it kind of depends at what stage these companies are, are at their journey or which technologies make the most sense for them to adopt a little quicker.
0: So when you guys are engaging with customers, what does that usually look like? Are you, I know you have the, the two products you mentioned, um, are you guys working with them from a very early ideation stage through building out the full solution, like as a systems integrator as well, or are you guys usually just kind of providing the, um, different components through your products and then the other pieces of the solution would, would come through partners or other, um, ways of engagement?
1: So we like to be involved with customers at a very early at the very early stages, um, because we obviously understand our product and and the market and the use cases um, very well. So for us, it makes sense for us to be involved, especially at those initial phases. These first pilots and proof of concepts are uh, extremely crucial because obviously, if those aren't successful, you're not moving anywhere from that point. Um, so for us, we like we do some integration and implementation assistance services for the customer in those first pilot phases. Um, but once they start scaling, that's generally, we don't want to become a services shop. We want to remain a product company. So at those phases, that's when we involve um, some of our integration partners that can really help start scale it, scaling the, the projects in that factory or in global factories around the world have, who have much more resources and, and capabilities in, in that respect. Um, so that's, we like to ha- handle that in the initial phases, but as the scaling up comes, that's when we involve more partners that are better suited for that and have more resources than us.
0: And in those engagements, has there been kind of a, a common issue or multiple issues that you've seen arise that maybe there's some advice out there for people listening who are looking to build solutions in the IoT space to, um, to you know, better plan or think around before they, you know, come to a company looking to, to deploy and build a solution?
1: Are you talking about from the customer perspective?
0: Yeah, from the customer perspective, just kind of in those engagements, I'm sure there have been kinds where customers have come saying, "Here's a sol- here's what we want to do. Here's what we're looking to solve. Here's the ROI we're looking for." But there's oftentimes things they may overlook or challenges that arise during the deployment. Like they didn't think about the, you know, the, the legacy system they have in place and how that works with the technology they're looking to to deploy to solve that specific problem. Just anything along those lines that may be an interesting kind of teaching moment for our audience to to um, to just think about. As they, you know, pondered possibly deploying a solution or, or looking to kind of bring IoT into their business.
1: Yeah, so I think one of the main aspects to that would be the fact that um, they should have, they should be solving a real problem or challenge. Uh, it should the problem it should be driven, the solution they're trying to create should be driven from an actual problem instead of just trying to try technology for the sake of trying the technology. So that's it's pretty obvious one, but obviously you'd be surprised how many people are just kind of doing random R and D projects for the sake of, of trying projects mm-hmm. uh, the products just because mm-hmm. they have mandates to do so. So they should first of all be finding talking to the actual operational people and, and figuring out um, what what problems they're really facing, and then find the the right technology to actually solve that. I think that's kind of the first step, and then understanding what are the eco what's the ecosystem of different aspects and solutions uh, and pieces that they actually need to bring together a full solution. So um, a lot of times companies and also obviously they'll talk to one type of supplier and they'll say, yeah, you're fine. Just work with us and, and we'll be able to do everything. But that's uh, a lot of the times that's not the case. Um, so really un- understanding the landscape is is really important. And what are the, the technological pieces that they need to actually fill um, to get to that end solution is very important as well.
0: What are some of the top use cases you're seeing in double IOT?
1: So the first one comes down to uh, remote monitoring or asset monitoring. So getting better visibility into your assets. Uh, It comes down to having, um, first of all, it starts from data collection from all your assets. So you have to be able to, first of all, connect and collect data from all your different machines and then get that data to the cloud where then you can have uh, centralized a centralized dashboard where you can actually visualize um, how all these machines are performing across all your factories. A lot of the times what companies are targeting from that respect is uh, OEE. So OEE is a manufacturing KPI, um, which measures overall equipment effectiveness. So they can actually visualize this across all of their factories and see how they're all performing and drill down at individual factories and see all the assets and how they're performing, uh, monitor things like uptime, downtime, Um, efficiency uh, failure rates uh, those kind of aspects throughput Um, so visibility over the the production is is the first point and then breaking that down into individual assets and machinery and then people move to more predictive maintenance that's kind of the holy grail that companies want to get to but you first of all you need a lot of data to get to that point so once you have this data pipeline now to the cloud you need sort of 3 to 6 months worth of data where you're actually able to start uh, seeing trends and patterns within the data and you have enough data for these machine learning systems that they can actually start to correlate and and create and understand patterns uh, out of the data. So then once they they they've done that and their internal data science teams scientist teams have analyzed that, they create models around that data and actually run those at at the edge. So now um, it's better to run these algorithms at the edge because you're taking quicker decisions, obviously, instead of sending everything up to the cloud and making decisions there. Uh, as, and also, if you're dealing with uh, control back to the assets, that's always better to be done at the edge as well. Nobody wants to expose their factory to the cloud and have, uh, and, and have people that are able to, to push decisions back to the actual production and machinery. Um, so predictive maintenance algorithm should always be run at the edge. Uh, and that's sort of that next use case where it's when the data is coming in, uh, either send an alert to a, a local plant or maintenance person to come service the machine if it's likely to break down, or if it's hitting some sort of critical threshold where it could break down any second, write back to the asset, turn off the machine, and then notify somebody, or even auto uh, write back to the machine and auto correct some specific variable, uh, which can lower the temperature of the machine and, and uh, allow it to continue on on what it's doing, so having that kind of closed loop control. So those are kind of the the key I say the two most often used use cases that people are doing. Um, everybody wants better visibility, everybody wants predictive maintenance, but there's other many other use cases in terms of more looking at quality or traceability of assets through the the process as well.
0: One of our recent guests was talking about ROI. And how ROI differs in different regions of the world. And I'd be curious, from your engagement with customers in, in more of a focus space, um, what kind of ROI is like leading the conversations that you're having? Is it really does it always come down to money for most of these organizations and companies, or are there other ROIs that are driving their decision making process on what they're looking to get out of their IoT solutions once they're deployed?
1: So definitely ROI does play a, a factor into this. Um, it comes down to if a lot of times it comes down to if this machine breaks, it, if it's a critical asset, is it going if it, if it stops my, my production run and it's down for three, four hours on average? I'm, I, it's pretty clear I'm going to lose X amount of dollars for have, not my production not running for three, four hours. So sometimes that can actually be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that companies are losing because they're not producing during the, those periods of, of downtime. So it becomes pretty clear at that point if you're looking at a, a critical asset. Um, the other points that companies, not just ROI, but it's, it's also the fact that if you're not adopting, everybody knows they need to be adopting these technologies. And if you're not adopting these technologies as quick as or faster than your competitors, then they're going to be gaining a competitive competitive advantage over over you, um, and that's huge in manufacturing because if you can, the, the more you can lower your production costs, the more you can invest in other areas in in your business. Obviously, um, so that's super important for for not just looking at ROI, but that's that's another big factor which is driving a lot of these companies uh, is really. The fear, the fear of missing out, or the fear of being slower than your your competitors who are moving at a much faster pace. Yeah.
0: Is that why manufacturing is one of the most prevalent industries ripe for implementing double IoT solutions, or are there other reasons behind that?
1: Uh, I would say so. It's it's obviously a hyper competitive industry where cost is a huge driving factor, uh, and if you can if you can save uh, if you can save even a few percent in cost, that that could translate into tens of millions of dollars in savings. So the ROI is a lot more clear in manufacturing, and and cost is a huge is always a huge driving factor within those businesses.
0: I have a qu- quick question. It's sort of related, but we haven't really talked about this much. But regarding the connectivity side of an IoT solution for uh, industrial IoT projects, when you guys are looking at the connectivity, or I guess evaluating different connectivity, how wh- what are what's the decision making process like? If you guys are involved in that step at all, um, and then just looking at Kind of a lot of the discussions around the industry now regarding LP WAN um, and its, you know, the disruption that it has in different solutions, especially in um, IIoT. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on what what you think of LP WAN technologies and how familiar you guys are um, in using them in the solutions that you're, you know, advising these companies to to deploy and build.
1: So those aren't so prevalent in uh, in the manufacturing world. Uh, are being discussed because everything is wired ethernet mostly or, or serial, but now everybody's moving to more Mm -hmm. ethernet networks. Um, so generally you're just using the the factory ethernet. All these devices have been wired and connected for, for 20 years, if not uh, a bit longer. Um, Mm -hmm. so those kind of technologies are a bit less, less prevalent, I'd say, um, you do, I have actually seen situations though. And, and, um, in areas that, are, that have manufacturing, like in Africa, where some of their machines are not even on, a, on the same network. And then, so at that point, you're looking at, okay, should I actually invest in, in actually wiring all of my, my machines, uh, which can be pretty costly in setting up the infrastructure and take a lot of time, or I, I can use LP1 and send everything over some sort of wireless signal to a, a centralized gateway and then get the data from there, which can be a bit, which can be uh, easier to implement and and some more cost savings. Um, so, so yeah. But most of the time, you're you're working with those kind of in manufacturing. Ethernet is 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 mainly the the communication that's being used.
0: Okay, makes total sense. Um... I guess just as we kind of wrap up here, have a couple of last questions. One of them is just to kind of get your thoughts on the future of industrial automation, um, and I guess relating that more to edge computing. Kind of, you know, we it seems like more things are obviously shifting to the edge for so many different reasons. But just to get your thoughts on on what is the future of industrial automation looking like uh, as it relates to edge computing, and we kind of see that shift even more day to day.
1: Yeah, so I think it becomes it comes down to more intelligence at the edge. So Edge has been more about a means of getting data for now, but it's the next phase is going to be more about driving further intelligence, whether that's better automating process or providing more value add on top of that data that the companies are actually collecting and doing this all at the edge, um, or actually having those kind of control loop, closed-loop control loops that I mentioned. So people are not really doing too much mm-hmm. In the control aspect, where they're they're based on the data, they're writing back to the assets and actually taking decisions on that, or updating um, updating specific variables that will auto correct the situation. So I think that's the next phase. That's that people are actually going to be using more uh, closed loop control. There's a lot of uh, apprehension and, and risks around that when it comes to things like security. So companies are a bit slow to want to do that. Some companies are adopting. Closed loop control within these kind of solutions, but it's still I think a very small percentage. Um, so I would say that's the next phase would be more about driving this intelligence and and more uh, real time control loops.
0: Very cool. So what what can we expect to see from um, from your company over the next you know six, 12 months? Anything exciting on the horizon that you know, we should look out for?
1: This is quite an exciting time for us. The company is growing quite rapidly. Um, and so we should be close to about fifty people by the end of this year which is hmm. which is exciting uh, as well as from the product side moving moving much more towards this latest trend that I mentioned, which is driving much more intelligence at the edge um, rather than just being a means to get data so we are adding more analytics features more machine learning features uh within our product and all all focused on the edge itself
0: that 's awesome well that's um always nice when you can you have more resu- resources to do what you guys envision. So I'm sure that'll be great, you know, wildly successful. So congrats again. Um, if there are, if our audience out Thank there. You very much. Oh, absolutely. If our audience out there is listening to and has any follow-up questions, wants to learn more about what you guys are doing, um, to pay attention to maybe just either other news stories, what have you, um, what's the best way they can connect?
1: Sure. So you can always follow uh, the company itself, Litmus Automation, on, on Twitter, LinkedIn. We're quite active. Um, at la automation or myself you can find me on on twitter as well at at 2 two on twitter or on, on linkedin as well um so we're quite active on on social media so definitely uh, you can find us there or on our website at uh, litmusautomation.com for for further information and, and following our our activity and press releases there as well
0: sounds good well, we really appreciate you being on today. I think a lot of the information is, is great. We haven't had too many guests talking about IoT, I, IOT lately. Um, so it's good to kind of get your thoughts and insights into um, not just your own processes and the stuff you're, you're seeing, but, but also just, you know, overall what's going on in that space. So we really appreciate your time. Um, we'd love to have you back at some point in the future. So, you know, just keep us updated on if any new breaking things are happening with your company, and we'd love to have you back on.
1: Great. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And look forward to hopefully uh, joining again in the in the future. All right, everybody. Thanks thank again you.
0: for listening to this episode of the IoT for All podcast with John Eunice of Litmus Automation. Hope you guys found it valuable. Um, if you did find it valuable, please leave a rating or review on whichever platform you're listening to us on. It helps others find it and it lets us know that you're a fan, which is pretty cool for us. Um, in addition, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe so you get the latest episodes whenever they become available. But other than that, hope you enjoyed this episode again. Um, we thank you for your time and look forward to having you listening to our future episodes. Thanks again.